Good morning, church. Um, I want you to know, I don't say this very often from here because I don't think about it but as often, but the singing this morning, you guys, I don't know if y'all had an extra, little bit extra juice in you, maybe a little bit more caffeine, but it was, it was really great. And I can only imagine if the partial joy that it brought me listening to it, uh, the joy that it brought the Lord as it rang to his ears this morning, as it was a part of the congregation of God that is singing and rejoicing right now because of what our great God and King has done for us. What a joy it is to be with you today, to be able to celebrate the work of the Lord, not only through salvation, but the work of the Lord and the continuing work in our lives. My hope and my prayer for our church is that we continue down the path that God has placed us on in growing, in loving Him, in loving others, fulfilling the law. We're going to be in Romans 13 today. I'm probably going to make it through verse 10. So if you want to start in verse 8 and look, we're going to be in verse 8 through 10. And I will pray for us as we begin this morning. Creator God, You who loves us more than we can know, who chose us from the very beginning to be family, we praise Your holy name. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Word became flesh, who dwelt among us and was sacrificed for us, we praise Your holy name. Holy Spirit, present in power in our lives from the moment that we first believed, we praise Your holy name. Would You, the great triune God, work in us today? Would You open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to Your Word and to Your will? Would you create in us a clean heart and and renew a right spirit within us? Would you allow us to see you as you desire to be seen and to see the world like you see the world? Would you help us to be people who give grace and mercy and kindness and gentleness Would they all be tied together in love? Would you allow the fruits of the Spirit to run free in our church and in our lives so that the world may know that we are children of God and Jesus is alive? Would you make us more into the image of your beautiful Son? A servant, a sacrifice, friend, our King. Lord, would we leave this place today forever changed with the energy and the endurance to do Your will into the end. We praise Your holy name. It's at that name 
that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And we pray in that name today. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we have discussed our obligations to the government, uh, our, obliga- our obligations to keeping the law of the land. When we are to keep the law of the land, which I think, again, is exponentially more than we are to dissent, and when those times of dissent come. Last week, we specifically went into how we, as God's people, can be better to other people. We started talking about how we treat others. Specifically, we talked about our obligation to our debt, our responsibility to our finances. And uh, it's, I, I, I'm preaching, I try to preach to you expositionally, I try to preach to you on topic all of the time. But sometimes, and I take this from Donald Whitney. Donald Whitney wrote a book that some of you just read, uh, read recently and studied, uh, Spiritual Distance for a Christian Life. But he also wrote a book on praying the Psalms. And in that, he says, in praying the Psalms, he tells you to read through and just pray what comes to mind as you're reading through. And so as I was reading, oh, no one, anything, it came to mind that it would be a good time for us to talk about debt. What I think is happening, though, I think Paul is trying to say, consider how strongly of a stance you take on debt and then take an even stronger stance on owing love to your fellow believers. That's why he brings out the debt thing. But I took the Donald Whitney path last week and I went with what was on my mind. um, And I think it was still in the within the context of. What the, Bible was, what the Bible was teaching. But I think Paul is saying to us, consider the same fervency. Consider the same view that you take on owing someone in this world. And then understand that your debt to others to love them never is paid in full. It is always something that we keep paying on. It is always something that we keep Paying through. Last week we did discuss that money, that debt. Uh, And I think that we can learn and put into practice a lot of things that we discussed last week and a lot of things that we already know. To be wise with our money and to make sure that every area of our life is changed by solving the spiritual problem of debt. Money was the, is the most commonly discussed uh, subject in the Bible or mentioned. Uh, it's likely because we believe in some way that money will solve our problems. If God is not quick enough to answer our needs, then money will. If God did not put us into this position of power or authority then money will. We have a dependency on what money or credit or getting other debt can do for us. And it shifts our dependency from the Lord to those things. And the Bible says clearly that no man can serve two 
masters. You cannot serve God and money. Literally, that is what is said. Mammon, money. So we need to trust in the Lord. It's not that we can't have nice things. It's not that we can't have the same amenities that other people have. The same wonderful things. It's that our route to get there should look different. It should be marked by patience and persistence and trust rather than immediate satisfaction, immediate fulfillment. Christians, in order to be countercultural, we must break the McDonald's drive through trend. We'll have to call it the Chick-fil-A trend now because McDonald's is not fast food. Chick-fil-A is the only fast food here, even though it's subpar food. Chick-fil-A is the fastest restaurant, the fastest fast food restaurant around. And we expect everything in our lives to happen on a Chick-fil-A level or we are dissatisfied and discontented. But we can take our time. We can take our time. We can be persistent. We can wait on the Lord. It's not the things that we have that are the problem. It is the way we get to those things. So Paul wants us to consider our debt in society and then to go on and take that and apply it to how we love others. Today I want to consider that commitment to monetary debt as we, as we compare it to our debt to love. That's the first idea you need to look at today. The debt to love. Look at verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's a bold statement. Paul is going to tell us what has been echoed throughout the entire Bible. That love is the key. Love is what binds all of these truths about God together. And then he's going to define love for us. He says, do not let selfish debt go unpaid. But if you earn any debt, let it be a debt to love one another. He tells us to take out a love loan on everyone you come in contact with. To make regular payments. To make them on time and with interest. Just, look, just like with our debt of sin to the Lord, we keep accruing more debt. And Christ keeps matching it with more love. We should also match those in God's family, those in the world, with the same type of love. This is not a love just for our brothers in the church, our sisters in the church, but it starts there. It's not just a love for our neighbor, the person that is in our circle, our sphere of influence, but that's a good place to start. Our love is for our enemy. Our love is for those who are unlike us. Our love is without walls. Now each level is a different type of love. I love you differently than I love 
a non-Christian. It's just the way it is. I don't love non-Christians in the same way that I love believers. And truthfully, this is a different story. If you want me to come to your MCs and explain it, uh, if, if you don't feel like you can, then we should love... Uh, God loves Christians in a different way than He loves non-Christians. So what does a payment on the debt of love look like? The Bible describes it. I'm going to take this from a semi or very famous love chapter. And I'm also going to take this from other places. But the first thing that payment on the debt of love looks like is... Patience. Love is patience. Love has the ability to tolerate pain and suffering without moaning and complaining. Love does not allow injury to lead to anger or strife. Love does not lead with anger. Love is patient. Love is kind. This is the ability to relate and sympathize with others because of your former state, because of what you knew you were, but also because we are filled with compassion, that we are filled with the compassion of the Spirit of God that drove Jesus Christ to the cross. Love does not envy. It is happy for others. But it's also happy for our current state. Love sees Where he is, is where God wants him to be, and he is satisfied. Love does not see where he is or where someone else is and say, that's where I should be. Love sees where he is and is satisfied because that's where God wants him to be. Love is humble. It forgives. It pursues peace. Love admits wrongs. It's humble. Love is respectful. It honors personhood. Because individuals are image bearers of God. It honors the sanctity of the unborn life. The newborn life. It honors the sanctity of all life. Love is respectful. Because all Creation, all of God's, all of the people that were created are image bearers of God. Love is selfless. It is thoughtful and considerate to the needs of others. Genuinely putting others before yourself. Every night I pray with my children in hopes of keeping the whole law. I pray, Lord, help us to love you more every day. And love others like we love ourselves. Selfless love is having the way we love ourselves, the way we take care of ourselves, be the minimum for how we treat and love others. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does things openly and wholeheartedly. It is not coerced. It is not forced. If you can't do, if you can't serve in the church in the way that you're serving right now without feeling coerced, without feeling forced, then you need to stop doing that and find another place to serve until the Lord gets your heart right. Because love is not irritable, 
Love is not resentful. Love does not look at other people's failings and compare them to your successes. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. What others do, friends, and how they respond is inconsequential to how you love and how you respond to God. Love does what is right. It does not rejoice or pursue what is wrong. Love seeks out the truth and what is right. And it does that. We are most loving to our church when we, are, when we have a Berean mentality in every area of our life where we look at what is being said, we examine it, we find the truth. Love bears all. Love believes all. Love hopes all. What does that mean? Love is long-suffering. Love is trusting. It's willing to take the knife out of your back rather than take it out of someone else's hand. Love sees the brighter side ahead. It looks forward to a time where that person that you are showing concern for and love for is not struggling in the same way that they're struggling. They're to a different place. They've reached a different level of growth. And partially, if not made in a major way, it'll be because of your love and your kindness and your commitment to them. Love casts out fear when we love properly when we are loving in the way that is honoring to God we won't have to be checking each other's cell phones we won't have to be checking each other's search histories we won't have to be living in constant fear or regret or jealousy because true love perfect love Cast out fear. Love is spread out to our enemies. It is not something that is kept within the church. It was sort of in a goofy way back in the day called holy huddles. That's what they called churches. Holy huddles. Church, this time right now is the equipping time with all of the gear in order to go out and fight the battle. And the battle is not one with politics. It is not one with anger or harsh words. It is one with loving kindness. With the fruits of the Spirit. Against the fruits of the Spirit, the world has no weapons. Love is spread out to our enemy. Love comes from God. Love is sacrificial. And do you know what, friends? Love binds all of our virtues given by God together. I want you to listen to this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one of you has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Listen, and above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
Friends, compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, doing those things here and there, that's good. But if we are coerced, if we feel like we are made to do those things, number one, we might need to check to see if the Spirit of God is in us. But number two, we might need to make sure where love is missing in our lives and our hearts. Love makes compassion God-honoring. Compassion without love is not God-honoring. Compassion out of pity is not God-honoring. Compassion out of love is God-honoring. Love makes kindness God-honoring. Kindness because you feel sorry for someone or kindness because you want to go viral on TikTok does not make it God-honoring. Humility. Humility without love is just veiled self-righteousness. All of the characteristics of God that are found in the believer are tied in a nice package and it makes us it makes us un it makes us impenetrable to the enemy when they're bound in love. We are indebted to our church in this way first. Friends, you need to hear this. If you consider yourselves a Christian, if that is something you're sure of in your life, the church is not indebted to you. You are indebted to the church. And if we as a body constantly feel ourselves as indebted to the body, then we will never have those woe is me moments as, well, they're just not, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Just not getting fed. You are indebted to each other. I am indebted to you. I, I love you and I want you to know that, but by me saying it over and over again, I want you to know that it is because I feel indebted to your love. I want you to know that I feel this type of yearning and longing that makes me constantly want to fulfill this debt of love to you. If you're a Christian in here, that should lead you to objectively be proactive in paying the debt of love to the body of Christ, to your local body of Christ. Not waiting. Not expecting and then if everyone else sees their responsibility to pay the debt of love to the church, we won't have to complain about what others aren't doing. We won't have to complain about where others are missing the mark. Because we will all just be doing what we know we are indebted to do. We have a great debt to love each other. We have a great debt to be proactive in that love and not be in our feelings all the time. <laughs> Friends, if you feel like someone else is failing in that area, you double down. You double down. I'm going to pick it up until they get to where they need to be. I'm going to make I'm going to take over for them. 
I'm going to hedge the gap. I'm going to fight in my place and in their place until they get to where they need to be. Service in the church, general kindness and love and, and, and compassion and empathy and sympathy towards each other. They are all characteristics of someone who belongs to the body of Christ, who has experienced the love of God and therefore knows how to pass that down to others. Friends, you need to check yourself because if you find that missing in your life, it's either one of two things. It's either or maybe three things. It's either underdeveloped because you have not grown in the Lord. It is either missing because you do not belong to the Lord or it's missing because you have not in that underdevelopment. You have not seen where you need to be this in your life. You have not known this is a part this needs to be a part of your life. So we're indebted to the church. We're indebted to those who are around us. Do you think God has placed unsaved family members? Do you think God has placed un, uh, unsaved friends in your life for your enjoyment? Do you think that's why, Christian, that God has placed those people in your life? For your enjoyment? So you can have somebody to hang out with on the weekends? So you can have somebody to have fun with? So you can have a good neighbor who's not the annoying neighbor? You think that's why God has placed people in our lives? Or has God placed unsaved people in our lives so that we can love them to Jesus? Do you think God in all of His providence placed unsaved neighbors, unsaved family, unsaved friends in your lives for your enjoyment alone? Or do you think God placed in His providence those people in your life because He knew that if you followed the will of the Lord, you would do everything you could to rescue the perishing? We have a responsibility to love others in our church. We have a responsibility to love those in our sphere of influence because God has providentially and sovereignly placed those people in our lives so that we may show the love of God to them. Friends, when you see your life that way, everything changes. The way you act at work changes. The way you act in your social circles changes. The things you think about. You start seeing people as spiritual beings and not just merely people that increase your pleasure in life. As the church, if we're going to love those in our sphere of influence, those in the world, we've got to start seeing people in need of the love of God and not just that uh, phileo love that we can give. We can give phileo love all day long. It's easy. Every one of us has a ton of people that we relate to that we can give phileo love to, but the Bible calls for us to give to those people agape, that godly type of love. It is a debt that will not be paid off until we die or the Lord returns. Those are the two options. And God has sovereignly and providentially placed people in your life in order that you can love them to Jesus. Just imagine if we approached everybody that we came across with that mindset. Just that mindset. How much would it change our interactions on a daily basis? How much would it help us fulfill the first and the second commands of God? 
I want us to look at the second part that's found in verses 9 through 10, and, and that's the law of love. The debt of love was the first part, and the second part is the law of love. The world often mischaracterizes love. We say, God is love. And then the, associ- the automatic association with that is that God would never condemn sinners to hell. He would never do this. He would never do that. God is love. But we mischaracterize the love of God. To say that God is love regardless of what we do is like expecting a husband to stay with his wife who continually cheats on him. Love is not a feeling. Is not a feeling. Love is love is a feeling only or love is a love is God honoring, excuse me, only if it is based on proven action. So to say that differently, love is only a feeling if it is based unless it's based on proven action. Friends, you need to hear this because you've probably been told differently. God does not love you for who you are. You've probably been told differently. God does not love you for who you are. God loves his creation because he created his creation. He said it was good and we're all image bearers of God. But the coming of Christ and the plan of God changed all that notion that God loves us for who we are. Christ died to kill, to murder all things in us that dishonored God. God does not love us for who we are. God loves us for who we will be in Christ. He loves us for who we will be in Christ. God, Christ died to kill all of the things in us that dishonors God. Now, He wants us to have a personality. He wants us to have uh, quirkiness and fun a fun nature and goofiness, if those things weren't true, then I would be in deep trouble. But He also wants to kill in us the things that prevent us from following Him that are contrary to His will and are contrary to love. And therefore, friends, we are loving God and we are loving man when we sacrifice our will for God's, when we obey Him. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul here mentions the 6th, 7th, 8th, and 10th tenth command in the Ten Commandments. And then he directly relates them to love. Jesus said that all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says in Galatians 5, Or you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you divide if you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another 
So what is the quickest way to show that we love the Lord and we love others? John 14 is recorded as saying, it's Jesus recorded as saying, He who has my commands and keeps them is the one that loves me. Love is a little bit deeper than just God loves you for who you are. Love is a little bit deeper than just be who you are. Come as you are in stop or stop, hard stop, whatever that old telegraph thing was. Second John 1, 4 through 6 says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded to by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as those I were writing you, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. How do we effectively show love to God? We find out what He wants us to do, and we do it. We see where God is moving, and we move alongside of it or with it. How do we effectively love others? It is through obedience to the will and the plan of God that we love God and we love others. It is obedience that insulates us from hurting others. We know we are not we know we are commanded not to pursue another man's wife. Therefore, we would not commit adultery if it offends God and that alone. And because we are obeying God, we are insulated from hurting others. We know we are not to murder. It's against the commands of God. And therefore, because we are obeying God, we love others by not killing them. We love others by not hating them. We, we love others by not gossiping and by stopping gossip. We love others by not lying, creating lies, or spreading lies. Even if we think there's a little bit of truth to them. We love others by not backstabbing. All of these we are commanded to avoid. And when we avoid them, we first love God. But just by default, we end up loving others because we don't offend we don't hurt those that we claim to love. God gives you a two-for-one special. He gives us a two-for-one special. And yet sometimes, oftentimes, we make it so hard. God says, obey me. Maybe a three-for-one special. Obey me, that's one. You get to love me when you do, that's two. And you get to love others when you do, that's three. <clears throat> when we do what honors God, we insulate ourselves from hating our neighbor. And we get to keep the, the first two commandments for the price of one. It goes with stealing, it goes with coveting, and on and on and on. Obeying God protects us and it insulates us from hurting others. That is why knowing and trusting and doing the will of God is so important. 
Do you hear the three keys to that? Knowing and trusting and doing the will of God. Knowing, trusting, and doing the will of God. Often we know the will of God. We might not trust it. And we try to do it. Can't work with they, These three are a group. And they're tied together with love. Knowing what God wants. We can't know what God wants unless we dive deep into His Word. Unless we're connected to people who know what God wants. Unless we pray and seek God's will. All of these things and more. We can't know what God wants unless we do those things. Therefore, we can't love unless we know what God wants. Some of us, sometimes, I've been guilty of it at times, are guilty of committing sins by omission. There are sins of commission, right? Those are the ones you know that you shouldn't do and you still commit. But there are sins of omission. Those are the ones that you omit out of your life or you, you, you don't, maybe don't know about. So you commit them because you are ignorant of what God has said. Friends, one of the reasons that I push to you, other than I think it glorifies God and it's life-changing, one of the reasons I push you to read the Bible and to study the Bible and to know the Bible and be connected with people who do is because you might be unbeknownst to yourselves dishonoring God because you don't know His will and His plan. You don't know His purposes. You don't know what He has said. And this is why in our minds, when we're about to do something, we're about to be involved in something, we should automatically go back to the questions. The question, what does the Scripture say? Knowing the will of God is key to loving others because it's key to knowing how to obey God. Trusting the will of God is key to knowing how to love others because it's key to being able to accept what God has said. It's not only knowing what God has said, but trusting it, being able to accept it, being able to look something that seems so contrary to what you feel or believe and looking at it and saying, this is what God has said. I must obey. This is what God has commanded. I must do. God has stated this as sin and this as wrong. I must also believe that this is sin and this is wrong. This is not about how I feel. This is not about how, what other people say. It's not about how I or others think. It's about what God has said. And I know it now. And I have to choose whether to trust it, the sovereign will and plan of God, or to trust what is in the outside, everywhere else. Knowing. Trusting. Friends, the good news is, if you know the will of God and you trust the will of God, you will be compelled to do the will of God. If you know the will of God and the Holy Spirit has given you trust in the will of God, then you will have no option, no other choice but to do the will of God. That's why later we see in 1 John that the commands of God are not a burden. They are not burdensome. Because when we know the will of God and we trust the will of God, it is no longer a burden. It is the most freeing thing in the world to just do what God has said. And all of those things, friends, are tied up in love. They're bound together in love. You want to strengthen your relationships and build new ones? Obey Know and obey. Know, trust, and obey the will of God. Obey the commands of God. They will keep you from gossiping. 
or allowing gossip to go on. Don't think we're innocent in here. They will keep you from backstabbing. They will keep you from jealousy, from envy, from hate, from all types of covetousness. When we pursue more and more obedience, we are loving God more deeply and loving others more deeply. And that is a good thing. But love is not only do nots. I want to give you these like in the next two minutes to five minutes. Okay? Love is not only do nots. Love is also do. Do be more attentive. That might not be proper English, but you get the point. Write it how you want to write it. That's your first do, and I won't say it in a weird way again, so I'll just say be more attentive to the words and needs of others. After you have understood your role and your responsibility to be attentive to the words and the commands of God to trust those things, pass that down to others. Is that not the right way to say attentive? What's the word? Attentive. That's it. Thank you. I didn't think that it would cause that sort of reaction in a human, but okay. Attentive. I even have it right in here. Attentive to the words and needs of others. To the point where you even dig to find out if you're saying the word right in the first place. (laughs) To the point where you dig. To the point where you are willing to go the extra mile. Hey friends, if you know something's wrong with someone and they say I'm fine, they are lying to you. (laughs) It would be easy to say, oh, they said they were fine. Next, if you know something's wrong with someone or, so, or someone's in a situation where some, something should be wrong with someone, right? Like a normal person should have a negative reaction to what's going on in that person's life. You should be attentive enough to dig. I'm fine should never be a sufficient answer. One thing I love about our church, and one thing I think we should keep going, growing in, is that I'm fine is not a sufficient answer. So most people, if they've been around long enough, they just give up. They're like, they don't just say, don't start with I'm fine. They're like, well, actually. <laughs> Be attentive to the words and needs of others. Share yourself. Share yourself. We all have life's plans and strategies wrapped up in a neat box. There are, there's a handful, if not more, in here that by the time they're this age, they want to have done something, right? And by the time they're this age, they want to have done something. We all have a plan. And I know you've heard me say this or something in all of this sermon probably a thousand times, but we must have a plan to share our lives. That must be a part of our plan. I want to tell you, as your pastor, all of my future plans include you. I will not make a plan without you without you knowing it. Do you understand? I'm here. And all of my future plans if I'm honoring the Lord, also consider monetary needs of others. They don't just consider making a budget for my family that gets me to the next economic level. 
They don't just consider making a budget for my family that gets me to the next house size. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you, not because I want your praise, but I want you to know as an example. The goal of my life, and since my wife is not in here, she's kind of heard this. I'll say it without her hearing, and I'll tell her later. The goal of my life is to get to a point where I can go back down. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you've been to my house, I, I'm not, this is not a brag. My house is really nice. We've made it something special. But the goal of my life is to, like, go back down, to downsize, to get back down to a point where I've built up to where I can be something more and better for others. It's not to, ma- it's not to make the next house bigger. It's not to ma- insulate my bank account more. It's to get to a point where we, can, where we can help others. But I will tell you, friends, I have been guilty of this, and you will also. You have to be very careful making a goal that involves big financial plans. Because what might happen if you don't have a lot of self-discipline is you might find yourself changing those plans and those priorities to yourself as opposed to others. Share yourself. Share your resources. Give. Give. Give to the church. Give to friends. Give to family. Give as often as the Lord leads you. And we talked about budgeting and being able to do that last week a little bit, so I'm not going to go into that anymore. Share your time. So many of us have our lives scheduled out that if anything breaks that schedule, it ruins our day. We need to be willing for the sake of love, to have a lot of days ruined for the sake of the church and for the sake of the needs of others. We need to have our schedules changed and ruined often for the sake of love and for the sake of others. It's not just the pastor's responsibility to handle midnight calls or two o'clock calls. It's the responsibility of the church to have our schedule shaken for the sake of love, for the sake of others. Knowledge, energy. Friends, if, if the only thing you're passing down is street smarts to your kids and to others, you are messing up. We have a responsibility to not only gain knowledge, trust in that knowledge, and follow that knowledge. We have a responsibility to pass that knowledge down to not only our children, but to others. That's called discipleship. The pastoral staff... The elders of the church, the deacons, are not the only ones responsible for discipleship in the church. Those who have been called by God to love others are responsible to disciple each other, to preach the gospel to each other with a plan to take on the older, the younger women and the younger men in the church in order to lift them up, to share knowledge, to share energy. Serve. Do serve. Serving your community, serve in your family, serve in the church, serve, forgive, forgive. Friends, forgiving is not saying, I accept your offer of forgiveness, but I will not forget it. Forgiving is, I accept your offer of forgiveness. And I will also with it burn the record of wrong. 
Forgiving is being willing to know that you were hurt, to make it be a part of the reality of your life, but also to be able to move on for the sake of love, for the sake of community, for the sake of growth, both spiritual in our, in our personal lives, excuse, personally spiritual and spiritual in our community. Forgive. And the last I want to leave you with is love deeply. If we found anything out from our verses today and our verses that we've known from the beginning is that love is not merely sentimental. I feel an overwhelming urge to let you know that my love for you is not sentimental because so many pastors sentimentally love their congregation. Now, I know that I don't know everything about you and I'm not involved in every area of your life. I know, as a matter of fact, as your pastor, there are areas of your life where you would like more assistance and more help from me personally in. I know that. But I will tell you, if time allowed it, if my heart allowed it, I would do everything I could every second for every one of you. Our love is not to be sentimental. It's not to be where we could easily let an offense cause us to want to break fellowship with one another. Our offenses should cause us to want to dig our heels in. To want to dig deeper. And find out how we can love the offender more. Find out how maybe we have offended. It is obeying God. It is giving your life. It is digging your heels in. It is deep love. If you ever feel like at any point that I am loving you only in a sentimental way, you let me know. Let me know. Because I promise you that's never my intention. I promise you it is my intention to love you as long as God gives me the breath and the energy to do it. And I am deeply and forever indebted to your love. Let us all, with Christ as our example, feel the same way to each other. Proactive. Not waiting on someone to love me. Loving others before they can even have a chance to love us. The Bible says, outdo each other in honor. And I think that's interrelated. I think we should outdo each other in paying off or paying down, or paying towards, whatever terminology you want to use, our debt of love. And I'm serious. I love you. And if, I, if you ever feel like I'm only loving you in a sentimental way and I'm not paying my portion of the debt of love, I want you to let me know. Or maybe let Anna know because she would let me down easier than you might. Let's pray. Father God, You are truly... A God of love. But your love is not without regard for what we are to do. Your love calls us to obey. 
It calls us to live for you. And then it calls us to pass that love down to others. Would you help us, Lord, to consider not only the feelings of others, not only how it's going to affect our livelihood or how it's going to affect our future when we consider obedience. Would you help us to consider your will and your plan and our love towards you and then how that affects our love towards others as we are living this life, as we are trying to obey you, as we are trying to follow you. Lord, we live in an age where so many people are concerned with how what we do will appear. Lord, the last thing true love is, the last thing honoring the Lord is, is keeping up appearances. Would you help us to love in the deep and genuine and God-honoring way which you have prescribed since the beginning? Thank you for the perfect example of Christ who condescended to this earth who gave his life as a living sacrifice, who served while he was here, and as the ultimate sacrifice gave his life, who was buried and rose again, who has given us the precious Spirit of God that we may live in a way that he has lived. Would you help us not to live defeated lives Assuming that we can never accomplish the type of love that God has loved us with. But would you help us to feel indebted to that love by giving our lives, our entire lives, everything we are as a living sacrifice. First to God and then to others. And what we find is all of the law and the prophets will be packaged up in that truth. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not leaving us alone. Help that to be the mark of our lives. To love others and not leave people alone. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for your precious son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.